sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. It's a pleasure to welcome an old friend who's been a stalwart for religious freedom in our neighbor to the north in Canada. And Barry Bussey, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. You have a new venture, I hear. Yeah, indeed I do. We started up the first Freedoms Foundation. We went live on our website just the first week of January. Wow, 2022. Now, you've been serving as counsel for a group of Christian charities right, right. and churches for a long time. Yeah, for 10 years, actually. Has it been that long? Yeah. We've missed you in our church work for quite some time. Yeah, it's crazy how fast time goes. Started work there in 2011, ended the work uh, in the middle of November 2021, which is phenomenal. So First Freedoms Foundation, mm -hmm. I mean, First Freedom is an expression that we get here in the States. Right. Uh, we look at the First Amendment and its first clauses deal with religious freedom. So we call religious freedom our first freedom. Right. But you're kind of, you know, a new adopter of that for Canada. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I take it by First Freedoms Foundation, you're focusing on religious freedom, correct? Well, uh, that's one of the First Freedoms. Uh, it comes from a 1953 Supreme Court of Canada decision in which uh, involved the Jehovah's Witnesses in the province of Quebec that were, in mm -hmm. essence, being targeted by the government of Quebec at the time in the 1950s and late 40s and 1950s. And what happened was um, the Samora decision released in 1953, Justice Ivan Rand talked about what he called the original freedoms, and they were freedom of speech freedom of religion or freedom of conscience, and the inviolability of the person. And so what we did was we said, okay, um, instead of going Original Freedoms Foundation, we went First Freedoms Foundation. So that's how we came up with our, our title. And then if you notice on our logo, we have Mount Robson, which is the, large, the, the tallest mountain in Canada in the, uh, in the Rockies. And the whole idea is, is that these First Freedoms form the foundation of our country so our foundation is a nonprofit. It's not a charity. And we chose that on purpose because uh, we want not to be regulated by government so that uh, as in charities, uh, you know, if you're getting involved in too much politics and partisanship and that kind of stuff, you lose your charitable status. So we, we de declined charitable status uh, from the very beginning. And we said, no, we want to be able to speak truth to power. We don't care who's in power. Uh, but when uh, government goes offline, we want to be able to speak to it immediately and not have to worry about any kind of government agency looking over our shoulder. So we um, went nonprofit. Anyone who gives to us, they do not get a charitable receipt. It's uh, basically an investment for freedom when we look at it. Why now? Is there something that precipitated, you know, starting this new organization to, to fight for these basic freedoms? Is there something going on that led you to decide it was necessary? Well, I think the COVID pandemic really highlighted the problems with government overreach with respect to freedoms in Canada. It was quite fascinating to watch at the very beginning in the February, March of 2020, 
The federal government took up on itself all kinds of power to be able to deal with this crisis. Of course, at the very beginning, we all went along with it because we didn't know what we were up against. But now we do, and it's not near as bad as what all we feared. And government still has been hanging on to power. But the problem is, is that it's been using it in a way that has been causing a lot of problem. A lot of um, uh, mobility rights have been challenged. The prime minister himself, I tell you what really pushed me off the fence because I, I worked with a, you know, the four C's, the Canadian Center for Christian Charities for 10 years, as you pointed out. And, uh, life is going good, good salary, all is well. But I've been hearing and a lot of my friends who decided they weren't going to be vaccinated, losing their jobs. Uh, literally being, um, uh, some of them having to sell their houses. I got some friends of mine who actually left Canada and have now moved to other countries because, uh, they felt the, the power of the government was just overreaching to such an extent that they felt the time to get out was now, especially when the government started imposing vaccine mandates on travelers. The prime minister put on, uh, you gotta have a vaccine in order to go on a train in order to take a, a plane ride, in order to go on a ferry. A uh, ferry is um, are a uh, jurisdictional issue of the federal government. Those, all federal areas have to uh, have to be vaccinated. So your post office workers, your bureaucracy, and so forth. And, um, and uh, let me interrupt uh, for a second, Barry. Uh, are there um, options for those with either, you know, medical related or religious objections to the vaccine? Yeah, you know, and, and I say that I say that because, you know, the OSHA directive that was going to apply vaccine requirement for employees of large companies was popularly described as a mandate when it really wasn't a mandate because it was really a vaccine or test scheme. And there was, you know, wiggle room, if you will, you know, or, or escape valve uh, for those who uh, did not wish to be vaccinated because of medical concerns or, or religious concerns. So they would be able to, to test and such. Um, and of course, that got struck down anyway. So, but tell me, the, the comparable measures, the vaccine mandates in Canada, did they have any of that uh, wiggle room built in? Well, so what they did was they had it in form and form only, but absolutely no substance. I do not know of anybody who has received a religious exemption or a medical exemption. In fact, I've had a number of people who've talked to me who said that they even went before the cardiologist because, of course, the fear of myocarditis and so forth. And this uh, one particular person was um, uh, compromised because of her heart condition. Uh, the cardiologist said that... Um, he would give a medical exemption. However, the college to which he was a member uh, would basically take away his license if he were to do so. So what is fascinating is that the government would say there's a medical exemption, that there's a religious exemption, but no exemptions have been given. Not that I'm aware of. Now, there may have been one or two, but I am talking hundreds, if not thousands of people who have applied have not received anything. Not only that, the Canadian government is very, very vindictive, so vindictive that even though you played paid into unemployment insurance, which is something that the government runs here in this country, you will not receive unemployment insurance if you lost your job because you refused to take a vaccine. 
The government, you know, I'm concerned about that here in the United States. Also, I'm not sure how widespread that is. I'll be doing an appeal for a client because our law is pretty clear that if your religious freedom is the basis for losing your job, you're entitled to your unemployment benefits. Right. Well, and I can also tell you here, the prime minister has upped the ante to such a degree. He has used such vitriol against people who are unvaccinated. In fact, during the election that was held in September, he called the unvaccinated racist, misogynist, anti-science. And he also asked the question, how do we, um, it was something to the effect of, uh, how do we give space to these people? How do we deal with these people? And he used the term these people as if somehow they're not Canadians or something. Um, he wanted to make it very, very clear that if you're going to be unvaccinated, you're going to suffer consequences. And he, in fact, he even used that kind of language. So what really came to a point for me, so that was an issue for me uh, for get go, where I said, you know what? Yes, I'm enjoying my life. I've got lots of job security and all the rest of it. But as I listened to people's stories, as I listened to university students who were being denied attendance at the university, even though the previous year they were accommodated in the sense that they attended classes online. But now in uh, 2021, they were denied the uh, opportunity to be accommodated whatsoever. And now we're into 22. Some of the university students I've talked to, one had, for example, only one course to complete this semester. His entire four-year degree in astrophysics was um, he's unable to graduate this year as a result of not being able to take that one course. Um, it's been absolutely brutal. And then the prime minister, in the midst of all of this, decides he's going to vaccinate or do mandatory vaccination for the truckers who are traveling back and forth across the U.S. border, which, of course, is huge trade for Canada and for the U.S., but particularly for Canada, because we are totally dependent on the United States in the winter for our fresh produce and everything. So when that happened, truckers lost their jobs. They lost their houses. People became very upset. And so as a result, they started this Freedom Convoy 2022, and they traveled to Ottawa. I've been up in Ottawa for three days over the last three weeks. I went there to just see and talk with the people. And basically, it's a winter carnival. But for the prime minister, it was seen as a challenge to his power. He fled the city because he was afraid of his own security concerns. And I don't know, unless maybe the RCMP had some kind of in intel that required him to leave. But he made it very clear he was not going to meet with him. In the meantime, back a couple of summers ago, when the Black Lives Matter were protesting in Ottawa, he came out and they met them. When the indigenous people were blocking off the railways uh, just before the COVID pandemic for months, he sent in negotiators to try to come to an arrangement. He refused to even meet with these truckers. In the midst of all that's going on, the prime minister has been passing legislation through the House. He hardly, first of all, he hardly had the House sit. And when it did sit, it had to fit the COVID regulations and only a few people would actually be attending on behalf of the various parties. And so it was basically a virtual House of Commons. And he was passing legislation that was very, very controversial. One, for example, dealing with uh, conversion therapy. There was 290 people were lined up to be able to make presentations on that legislation. And 
he ended up having, <clears throat> with the help of the opposition, which uh, uh, says something for the opposition or the lack of opposition that we've had during the COVID, uh, but within one week, he went through three readings of that legislation, um, all unanimously approved, three readings in the Senate, and was then uh, signed into law by the Governor General. Uh, I think that's probably a record of how fast legislation that was deemed um, very controversial. Not only that, the own Department of Justice didn't even have its um, legal brief on the implications with respect to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that this legislation would have, and the parliamentarians didn't even have that legal brief in order to vote on it. So so what we've got here is a situation where um, a prime minister who, not because of our constitution, but because of tradition and because of the gradual creep of the executive in this country, has gotten more and more power. And he's basically, um, I'd say, run roughshod over the legislature, imposing all of these restrictions, refusing to meet with people. And so people in Canada are becoming more and more frustrated. Yet, here's the interesting thing. From the most recent polls, it seems that he is still um, quite popular amongst his supporters. And so we got a situation here where unless things change, we're going to be in this martial law for uh, a little while yet. I certainly hope that at the tail end of the pandemic, and some of this will, will calm down, my purpose in doing the show today, Barry, was to find out about your new venture, the First Freedoms Foundation. And I can see that you're up to your ears in uh, in the current challenges there in Canada. And we certainly want to wish you well. But uh, we're out of time. This has been Freedom's Ring. Our guest, Barry Bussey, new founder of First Freedoms Foundation on the web at firstfreedoms.ca. It's been a pleasure as always having you on Freedom's Ring. Well, thank you so much. And we'll keep in touch. Okay. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.